good morning. I want to add my happy Mother's Day to everybody, to all the moms there. Happy Mother's Day. What a, a great day it is to honor your mom. And uh, I was thinking that I have been excited that we're actually in this Proverbs passage here today on Mother's Day. So we're kind of using our spring summertime looking in the Proverbs. Uh, and the reason why I'm excited is because this is a, a wonderful passage to uh, young people. And I was thinking, this is my Mother's Day gift to the moms. I'm going to tell your young people what they should do. <laughs> right? I mean, you don't need more flowers. What you need is your kids to do what you want. Right? And so this is... The <laughs> I think we got a revival going on here. <laughs> and so this is, uh, this is my Mother's Day present to you because uh, this particular passage, as Philip read it, and I'm sure that you saw it in there as he, uh, as he read it, this is a wonderful passage that kind of lays out for us something very important. In fact, I like to say it this way. It lays out for us uh, why we live for Jesus. You know, one of the things that uh, the book of Deuteronomy says in Deuteronomy 6 is uh, he says, uh, when you go into the land, Moses is telling people, when you go into the land, I want you to follow all the laws, all the statutes, everything the Lord has told you. And then the people, he, Moses anticipates what the kids are going to say. And the kids are going to say, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to follow all these laws? Why do we have to follow all these statutes? Why? Right? Moses knows this. He knows what kids will do. He knows that they're all going to ask, why? Why are you doing this? And he says, your answer is that you tell them you were slaves in Egypt and God delivered you. You know, you were, you were saved. And we don't have to follow these laws. We get to follow these laws. It's a privilege because we've been delivered. And this particular passage, though talking about something a little bit different than, than what Deuteronomy 6 is talking about, lays out in very clear, simple terms... What life will be like for those who pursue righteousness and what life is like for those who pursue wickedness. And if somebody were to say, why do you follow Jesus? If a young person would say, why would you do this? I'd say, well, just I'm going to tell you what life is like if you don't follow Jesus. Now, you see, the world thinks that the best thing to do is to kind of conceal, to manipulate, to hurt people. And they feel that's the way to get advancement. And every young person that enters the world faces that temptation, don't they? I remember about 10 years ago, I, I shared this a while ago, but about 10 years ago, Heather and I were going to buy a new mattress. And, you know, it's expensive to buy a mattress, and we'd save some money to get a, a nice mattress. And we went to a mattress store, and, you know, I started laying on mattresses. I can't tell the difference between them, right? And it's just, it's frustrating for me. Like, I just want to buy one and and, uh, you know, and he's, the guy's going over all the different models, and this one has this, and this one has that. And there's a lot of stuff about mattresses, right? And, and so we're going through this whole thing. We finally pick one, and, uh, and there's a, you know, seven-day return policy on it. So that's why I'm like, oh, let's just pick one, you know, because you've got seven days to figure it out. And as we're checking out, the man says, now listen, we have this thing. It costs $100, and uh, basically it's a stain guard that you can put on your mattress, and uh, he goes, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. If you spill coffee on it, if you care, you know, you don't need to spend this extra $100 on this stain protection thing. It's a waste of your money. Don't do it. Like, hey, guy's watching out for me. I like that. 
Okay, this is cool. He's watching out for me. He's going to take care of me because I hate add-ons, right? I go to a coffee place. I'd like a cup of tea. Would you like a banana with that? No. Would you like a muffin? No. Would you like an egg? No. Tea, right? That's it. I will tell you if I want more. I'm not that indecisive. Okay, right? I hate being upsold. So I feel like this guy's helping me out. He's telling me, don't waste another $100. You're already spending a lot of money. Don't waste more. Okay, cool. This guy's my friend. We go take the mattress home. Day three, Heather's like, ah, I don't know if I like this. I'm like, ah, either do I. So I call him. I say, hey, listen, uh, we slept down for about three days. We don't like it. And he goes, well, hold on a second, Mr. Leston. Let me get your paperwork up. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't return this. And I'm like, Why? Well, you see, you declined the protection, the, you know, the mattress protection thing, the stain protection, and we can't take anything back that didn't have the stain. I'm like, you talked me out of it. Oh, I would never do that, sir. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're lying to me, right? I'm starting to get upset, and seriously, what's going through my brain is, how upset do I get, because what happens if he shows up to church next Sunday, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> why I don't shop in DeKalb, actually, you know? <laughs> but anyway, like... How far do I push this? I'm not lying. That is really what's going through my head. I'm like thinking to myself, how angry do I get here? So I'm trying to be reasonable with the guy. I'm trying to be nice, and I'm trying to say, listen, you went through this whole speech about how it's a waste of money, and if I spill coffee on the bed, do you remember saying that? Oh, no, I would never say that. Are you kidding me? There's, that would void out your return policy. Totally lying to me. And I'm like, you're lying to me. Oh, sir, sir, why would I do that? I'm like, because you're trying to protect your commission. That's why. You figured out a way to sell mattresses and not get any of them, any of them returned. He goes, well, there is a way we could do this. Let's just say an accident happened to your mattress. Uh, then we could return it back to the manufacturer. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to break the mattress <laughs> and then say it came broken. I'm like, it's like, well, that's, that's your only option. So we've been on that, sleeping on that bed for 10 years now. <laughs> Didn't return it. But you know, those moments happen. And you think as a parent, I don't want my kids living that way. I don't want them thinking that is the best way to move forward in life. That that's, that's, that's the way. This guy figured out a way to protect his commission. And we got to ask ourselves, his all of his nice words and all the things kind of, he's really concealing wickedness and hurt. And even though we called his boss and even though I went through all the channels and the store isn't around here anymore, it's, it was closed shortly after that, in fact. But the bottom line is this. That way that that man has chosen to live his life is only going to bring destruction upon him and his family. And yes, maybe he figured out an angle. I am sure a guy selling mattress doesn't get paid a whole lot of money, so he's trying to discern how to protect his commissions. But at the end of the day, what is he going to have? And when a young person enters the world, and they stand there at the doorstep of their first job, and some temptation for some scheme comes to their mind to do something like that, to take a shortcut, 
to, 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 to absolutely break their morals and break their virtues for some quick gain, for some quick reward, for some kind of way that they think they can get an edge on life or, or get someone to like them or sacrifice their life or their body to get someone to like them or something like that. Those kind of decisions. What happens in the end? That's what this proverb's going to tell us. And it's going to show us something very powerful. It's going to contrast for us. Those that are pursuing Jesus and what their life will be like. Those who pursue wickedness and what their life will be like. Now in this passage, there's just six contrasts. Six verses we're looking at, six contrasts. All the contrasts are there. I'm not going to read them all to you. They're there in your bulletin. And you can see all these contrasts. But the key fundamental difference here is that there are those who are pursuing righteousness, which we know now that the only way to get have access to the righteousness is through Jesus Christ. And so we can say this is the person who's pursuing Christ, only Jesus, as we just sung, living that way, what their life will be like. And someone who says, no, I don't want to live that way. Maybe I'll acknowledge Jesus in my life, but I'm just going to manipulate and work the system. We're going to see what their life is going to be like. Proverbs is not written as a series of commands. It's a series of just statements of reality. This is just what life will be like. And as you see this this morning, the point for you is to do this. is just to say, which one do, does my heart identify with? And to respond accordingly. For every young person in this room, I want to tell you why we live for Jesus. I want to tell you what your life will be like if you say, this isn't that important. Because this is just a statement of reality. So let's look at the first contrast. The first contrast is between blessing and violence. Look at verse 6. It says, Blessing are on the head, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So blessings are on the head of the righteous. Now you see the contrast, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Now let's just look at this. First thing he says is that you've got a person who's righteous. Now we know how you become righteous, through faith in Christ, right? I'm living for Jesus. Jesus changed my life, and, and I want to follow you. I wanna, I, you're the one that I want to live for. Okay. Now he says blessings are on your head. Now we've got to understand what that imagery means. In order to do that, I want to tell you what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is that he's not saying that material gain will follow your life. Because some people might read this and say, blessings are on the head of the righteous, therefore I'll never have financial problems or I'll never lose my job or I'll never lose my car. And if I do have financial problems and lost my job and lost my car, God must not be blessing me. Okay, He's not making the connection between material blessing and spiritual blessing. Whenever Proverbs talks about blessings, it talks about it this way. It says that blessing is defined in Proverbs as security, emotional security. Blessing is defined as peace with God. Emotional security, peace with God. Blessing is defined as direction in life. You know which way you're going. And blessing is defined as a good name in the community. So it's defined as security, peace with God, direction in life, a good name in the community. 
That's why he says blessings are on the head. The idea is that God is blessing the individual, the person. Whether they have no money or whether they have a million dollars, right? Whether they have you know, a job or don't have a job doesn't matter in one sense. It's the idea that whatever the moment is, whatever moment is happening in their life, that they are secure, that they have peace with God, that they're walking by faith, and people are saying, man, I have so much respect in you and for you for what you're doing and the way you're handling this moment of your life. That's why he says it's on your head, right? It's not in your experience. And so what he's saying is, listen, what everybody ultimately wants in life are those things. Why do actors act? Why do they want to be famous? Because they want people to say, aren't you so-and-so? Right? No actor says, oh, leave my name off the credits. Blur my face so no one knows who I am. Oh, I don't want to be on the cover of any magazines. Right? Everybody wants to be known and known for something. And, and, and they feel like money will bring them security and, and, and stuff will bring them a good name. And if they drive the right car and they can be famous, then they... Right? We're looking for those things that I just listed. Everyone's looking for security and, and internal peace and direction and understanding. And he's saying, listen, that comes from those who pursue righteousness. From those who say, I, I want to be right with Christ. Now you have that. No other way to get that in the world. No other way. But now he gives a contrast. The contrast. He says, blessing are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Now here's what he's saying. Now, somebody's pursuing righteousness is laying their whole life before Jesus, right? You're saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Ah, I'm, I'm lost without you, right? So you lay it all out there in front of Jesus. He forgives you. He begins to work with you. Now, what does someone who isn't pursuing righteousness, what do they do? They hide their sin. They pretend like it's not there. But inside their heart is violence. Why does he use the word violence? Well, think about this. You use an obvious example that all of us deal with. Somewhere in the next seven days, someone's going to wrong us, right? right? The guy in the mattress store was wrong, wrong me. And what happens when you get wronged? You get mad inside. And you start saying, boy, this is really making me upset. Righteousness says, okay, Jesus, I'm mad right now, man. Please give me peace so I can forgive this person. What does wickedness do? Wickedness says, I'm going to take him down. I'm going to take their store down. I'm going to get me a lawyer, and I'm going to take him down. And on the outside, it might be like, well, we're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. I don't really want to talk about it. And they kind of give you this kind of friendly outside talk. And inside, they're like, yeah, but I'm going to take him down. So on the one side, they use their mouth as if all is well, all is fine. And inside is rage and anger. Someone, you, someone does you wrong, it's like, that comes up. And all of a sudden, you use, you cloak it. You cloak it in friendly words. But inside, you want to destroy them. He says, that's what the wicked do. See, the wicked cover up their depravity. <clears throat> they conceal it. But the righteous, they don't have to because they've dealt with their depravity at the cross. And God just showers blessing upon them. 
Maybe their external life is rough, but they as a person are secure. The wicked, they don't have that. So, our first contrast. A righteous person has the blessing of God, but a wicked person walks in deception. They use their tongue to conceal the fact that in their heart, they're angry and they're bitter and they're mad and they're not forgiving and they're holding offenses against people. And, and, and so they wind up being the, what I sometimes call, I see it sometimes in counseling, the fight historian. You know, they're the ones that well, you're, you're sitting down and a couple's kind of having a spat in front of you and all of a sudden one's just saying, well, you know, 14 years ago you said this and 13 years ago you said this. And, dun, 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 right? and they just, they, they're the historian, man. They can't remember what they ate for dinner three days ago, but they can remember what you said 17 years ago. The exact words. They're concealing it. Listen, I'm not saying I'm not forgiving you, but... Concealing the violence. That's what the wicked do. And it never goes away until they come face to face with Jesus. Okay, there's your first contrast. Second contrast. Good legacy versus bad legacy. Look at verse 7. The memory of the righteous is a blessing but the name of the wicked will rot. Several years ago, I met with a woman who ran a foundation for a a multi-billionaire. This family that had billions of dollars, and there was this woman whose job was to run this family's foundation. And I said, that's an interesting job. If you guys know what a foundation is, you know, if if, if you had billions of dollars, you don't keep it all in your bank. You take a large portion of it and you put it in a foundation that you give away to charities and it's a tax protection and other things like that. And you hire somebody to give away your money. That's what they do. That's their job. And they'll give away your money to different charities and people will apply to these foundations and say, can I have some of your money? This is what I do. And, and the, this woman's job was to decide whether or not she was going to give this billionaire's money away. And I said, how do you make that decision? I mean, you can imagine how many letters that she gets of people wanting money. And she says, I have one criterion on, whether or not, on, on, on giving this person's money away. Will it advance the legacy of my boss or not? Because that's why my boss, wants, what my boss wants to give money to things that advance his legacy. That people would remember him. Right? The wing of a hospital. Right? That seems like a really noble thing to buy. Right? You got your name on it. It looks like you care for people. Right? Oh, look, here's a wing that takes care of children. I'll buy it. You put my name on it. You'll call it after me, and forever, everybody will remember that Steve cares for children. But that's what happens. That's how this works. It's, I know it sounds cynical, but it's what's happening there. Now, this proverb is talking about this. And this proverb is saying something very simple The memory of the righteous is a blessing. He's talking about when you die. And he's saying, now, when people remember a person who's pursuing Jesus, not only will they remember them for being a good person, so to speak, actually it means this. It doesn't, actually does not not mean that. What it means is that when they remember them, they actually get blessed. Okay, have you ever had somebody in your life that impacted your life in a profound way, shaped your life, influenced your life, and then they've gone home to be with the Lord. I have. I have somebody 20-some-odd years ago, I went to home to be with the Lord, impacted my life profoundly. And whenever I think of this guy, 
instantly all the lessons that he taught me, all the ways that he spoke into my life begin to well up. And all of a sudden, even though he's been gone for over 20 years, he blesses me today. That's what he's saying. A person who pursues righteousness, they might die, but people who will remember them will still be blessed. We sing Charles Wesley hymns, right? Charles Wesley, deepest, most profound poet that I could ever think of. And whenever I think of Charles Wesley, I'm blessed. And we could go through the list of people, missionaries and people, and, you know, that, that names that, that some of you may or may not know. You could say Jim Elliott or Corey Ten Boom or people like that. That You could think of these names of people, and when you remember them, they bless you. Now, here's what he's saying. You pursue righteousness, you will be a blessing to people. When you live for Jesus, you begin to bless people. You walk in a room, you begin to build them up. And when you die, you continue to build them up. That's what he's saying. But what's the contrast? But the name of the wicked will rot. Now notice, he's not saying the name of the wicked will go away. See, the wicked, they conceal violence. Right? So, so a wicked person will conceal violence. And eventually, that violence will be seen. The, the depravity of their heart will be seen. So that when the person dies, as time goes on and memories begin to get clearer, suddenly over time, you get more and more despised by the person, is what he's saying. Who they really are gets seen. So to the point where they're despicable over time. To the point where you say, I'm glad they're gone. I'm glad they're gone. See, that's, that's what, what happens to the wicked. You know, you think about this. I'll say a name that is a despicable name, right? You say it out there, and, and it's a horrible name. Hitler, right? Horrible name. A name that, that you would, you would if, 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 if you had a boy, and you said, oh, here is my son, Hitler Lested. You'd be like, what are you doing? You cannot use that name, right? That name is forever banished. It's a wretched name. A horrible name. But in 1937, millions of people stood out and said, This is the greatest guy ever, right? Because he's concealing his wickedness. Millions of people. You see the pictures, right? You've seen the imageries of people who he is phenomenal. He's fixed our country. He invented a car. The Volkswagen, the people's car. That was his invention. Everyone got one. Everyone got a vacation cottage when he took over as chancellor. He restored the economy. People, I'm not really praising him up here, so, you know, but I'm saying at that moment in time, he went from being the greatest leader ever to now a name that no one would ever use. Why? The name of the wicked rots. Now, that's an extreme example in Hitler. But it's true of everybody because maybe you know someone who has died, a relative or family member that were that were they were a bad person. And you're like, you know what? I hate to say it. I'm glad they're gone. Maybe you felt that way. And as time goes on and you begin to think about it more and more, their depravity begins to start showing up. That's what he's saying is gonna happen. You see, those who pursue Jesus, they stay as a blessing even after they're gone. The righteous investment we make into other people 
lives on after our death. But the deception that we put up, if we're just deceiving ourselves and others, after we die, will be torn down, is what he's saying. So you could pretend like you're a Christian. You could pretend like you're a good person. But if in your heart there's wickedness, when you die, it's gone. It's gone. And people will see who you really are. But if you're pursuing righteousness, the blessing you started before you died will continue on after your death. Okay, third contrast. Third contrast. So we got our first contrast. And the first contrast... A righteous person has blessing, the blessing of God upon them as as a person. The wicked lives in deception. The second contrast, a righteous person has a good legacy. The wicked person has a rotten legacy. Let's look at the third contrast. Teachable spirit versus self-inflicted ruin. Look at verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Now, that first statement is very simple. You don't, you don't probably need to explain it to you. The wise of heart receives commandments. You could say this way. A wise person listens when someone gives them advice. It's just that simple. That's why they're wise. The key to wisdom is to recognize that you have nothing and you need to fear God. I need help. I need everything. I need your righteousness. I need your life. And when God sends along wise counselors to say, hey, Here's what you I want I want you to listen to this. I'm coming to you. The wise person says, I will listen. It's just that simple. But now let's look at the contrast. But a babbling fool will come to ruin. Notice he uses this idea of the babbling fool. Okay, so a fool is someone who, who lives as if God doesn't exist, right? As if they're their own boss. And a babbling fool is one who keeps talking. That's what babble means. It means jabbering. It's just yapping. And, and here's the difference. Here's the picture. It's a very simple picture that he's painting. The babbling fool is the one that, you know, something's going on, wrong in their life, right? And let's say something bad's happening in, in their life, and they, and they come and they say, boy, you know, really having a problem here at my work. Yeah, what's your problem? Well, I don't know. My boss is really being a pain. Well, you, so then the wise counselor says to the, to the babbling fool, you know, you should really just go into your work trying to be a blessing. Oh, no, 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 you don't understand my boss. My boss is a horrible person. And if you really understood my situation, you would know, right? They cut you off and they just start talking. And they take over and they dominate and they don't be quiet. And here's what he's saying. Somebody was about ready to give you wise instructions. You didn't want to receive it. You didn't want to hear it. You didn't want to be challenged. You didn't want to be told you were wrong. So you over-talked them. And what is the result? Ruin. It's self-inflicted ruin because God provided the help. He put somebody in your life. And rather than listening to them, you over-talked them is what he's saying. And eventually, all this destruction occurs because you refuse to listen to wise counsel. Those who refuse to listen to others come to ruin. Right? That's what happens. So the picture there, you have to get the wise of heart receives it. Somebody comes and begins to talk. The person who's really wise in their heart, they listen. The babbling fool, the person comes to talk, they over-talk them. 
They take over the conversation. They don't be quiet. They make all these excuses why everyone else is wrong, why it's everyone else's fault, and on and on and it goes, and why this situation doesn't apply, and why what you're saying. They won't stop because that's, that's what the word babble means. It means continual jabber. That's what it means. Right? It's really what it means. That's actually a real, that isn't a lessonism. It just, babble means continual jabber. And they don't stop. And in the end, their life is in a ruin, and they're like, why, why does this always happen to me? Because you don't shut your trap and listen. That's why. You've had wise counsel come, and you've overtalked them all. That's what Solomon would say. That's not what I would say. Well, yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> so here's our contrast, right? The first contrast. Righteous person, blessing. Wicked person, deception. Second contrast. Righteous person, Their life of blessing and righteousness continues on after they die. The unrighteous person, what they were covering up, gets exposed. Third contrast. The righteous person listens and receives. The wicked person overtalks and has problems everywhere. Okay, fourth contrast. Security versus insecurity. Verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walk securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. Okay, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. This basically means, I like to define it this way, walking in integrity means that you live every moment before the face of God. Every moment saying, God, I'm an open book, I'm not trying to lie or be deceptive here, there aren't any games here, I might make mistakes, I might fail but I'm not trying to cover them up. That person has nothing to hide, right? Has nothing to hide. But the one who's hiding things because the whole thing is the wicked person is always concealing. Now that person will be found out. That's their greatest fear. The greatest fear of the wicked person is that they will be found out. The wicked people hide their life. They build walls. They build barriers. They don't let people in. But Proverbs says they will be found out. They will be. You can't hide your deception. You want to know why? Because the flesh has no power to control the flesh. If you try to conceal your flesh, you're actually adding more flesh. And eventually it will be made known. So the person who isn't living before the face of God, in essence, bringing their heart and exposing their depravity up front before Jesus, okay, knowing there's forgiveness there and there's restoration and clarity, that person who's saying, no, I'm going to cover it up, I'll put a good spin on it, I'll kind of babble myself around it and talk around it, do all that stuff, they're the ones now, they will be found out. A crooked path means just a path of, of kind of constant lies. That's the picture. Change here, change there, cover this, cover that, and eventually they get found out. Okay? The great thing about pursuing Jesus and living for Jesus is that you have to be open about your life and your sin. There's the greatest blessing in the world. It's the greatest blessing in the world. In Joshua chapter 3, don't turn there. I'm, I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 3. The high priest Joshua is standing before God. This is Zechariah 3. High priest Joshua standing before God. He's standing there on behalf of all of Israel. 
Because Israel has sinned. They have failed to rebuild the temple. He's standing there. And it says that Satan is there accusing him. Accusing him. And, and, and the father who's there, the Ancient of Days, is there. Satan is pointing out all of Joshua's sins. And the father, the Ancient of Days, says, stop it. I've chosen this one. He's a brand plucked from the fire. Put a new coat on him, meaning clothe him in my righteousness. Now, the thing that the father didn't do is say, you're lying, Satan. You're wrong. No, the father knows our depravity. But Joshua, standing before him, in essence, in a sign of repentance, is standing there laying his sin. And when he lays his sin before the Father, he doesn't get accusation. He gets forgiveness. And that's the great thing about the life of integrity. You can say whatever you want. Bring it all before God, and you'll be forgiven. If you say, I don't want to, I'm just going to hide my depravity, and then I'm just going to create a facade out here, you will be found out. That's all he's saying. It's a statement of fact. This is the, the message I believe Solomon wants all of the young people to know. You will be found out. You can't cover it up. And he wants all the people, too, that are hiding their depravity right now to know you can bring it before God and get forgiveness, or you can cover it up, and guess what? It will be found out. And you will not have blessing in life. And your name will rot when you die. It's the truth. It's what he's saying. Okay. So we have these contrasts. Righteous person, blessing. Wicked person, deception. Righteous person, a good legacy. Wicked person, a bad legacy. Righteous person listens. The wicked person refuses to listen. Righteous person, in our last one we just looked at, has security. Stability in life. Because they've lived their life before God. The unrighteous person, the very thing they're trying to cover up, will be exposed. Now we have the fifth contrast. Look at verse 10. Actually, I need to take a little survey out here. Don't be ashamed of this question. Not a trick question. How many of you have the English Standard Version? Just raise your hand. Okay. Okay, good. So some of you don't. And so I'm about to read something. And what I'm about to read might not make sense if you have like the New International Version or the New Living Translation or things like that. And I'm going to tell you why in a second here. But let me read to you verse 10. Here's how the ESV has it written. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Now that looks like a repeat of a verse we just looked at a couple verses ago about the babbling fool coming to ruin. Now, some of you have this type of translation. Here's the, the New Living Translation. People who wink at wrong cause trouble... But a bold reproof promotes peace. Slight difference, isn't there? So, if you can give me about two minutes to explain to you this difference here. This is a little pause. I'll tell you what the difference is. The Old Testament principally was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew translation of the Old Testament. Between the period of, of the end of the Old Testament and before the New Testament era began... Okay, so after Malachi was written, but before Jesus, John the Baptist was born and Jesus was born. In that little period in the middle, the Greeks took over the world at one point. And when they took over the world, they, they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. Right? Many of you know this. I'm going to tell you anything you don't know. And that's called the Septuagint. 
Septuagint means 70. There were 70 scholars involved translating the Hebrew text to Greek. In the course of that translation from Hebrew to Greek, they noticed Proverbs chapter 10, verse 10. And they said, wait a minute. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool comes to ruin. This seems to mess the whole flow up. It just seems to mess the whole flow up because it's no longer a contrast, and it looks like a repeat of verse 8. The second half was. So they began to start studying. Is there a man, is, was there a copying error? Remember, you don't have copy machines and word processors. People copied things by hand. And in the majority of the Hebrew texts, 1010, 10, it was recorded like how the ESV has it. These scholars that were doing all the translations started finding other manuscripts that had this written. People who wink an eye cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. And they said, we actually think there was a copy error. Somebody accidentally, in doing their copying, you know, hand-to-hand, recopied verse 8, and that became the accepted text. So the Septuagint corrected it and put in the text they found. Now, hope I haven't lost you with this whole little story here, Bible scholars throughout the ages have had to make a decision. Are we going to take the Septuagint rendering or the Hebrew rendering of verse 10? English Standard Version said, we're going to take the Hebrew rendering. Other translations said, we're going to take the Septuagint rendering. Make sense? You follow that little journey? Thank you for following me on that little journey. There will be refreshments at the end. (laughs) Okay, I wanted to explain that to you because you say that's quite a difference. It's not just one word difference. It's a whole phrase difference. Now, I tend to believe probably that the Septuagint guys got it right. They found manuscripts that had this. I think it probably was a copy error because verse 10 kind of doesn't really make a whole lot of sense other than the first part of verse 10, whoever winks the eye causes trouble. That's a deceptive person, right? Wink, wink, that's what that kind of means. It means you're being deceptive. You know, you, you pretend like you're one way, but when you're at home, you're another way. And so, so this is about a deceptive person. Who are you when no one's looking? What kind of decisions do you make when no one's around? That's kind of what we're getting at. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble. The person who lives this duplicitous life creates trouble for people. Creates trouble. And they do. Duplicity creates trouble. You pretend like you're one way, but in all reality, you're another way. Right? Kind of that, that, you know, you get it. I don't have to work real hard to help you figure that out. But what's... The Septuagint rendering, but a bold reproof promotes peace. Here's the contrast. The person who's willing to call sin what it is, the person who's willing to be honest and upfront about something, that's the person who actually brings peace. So the one who's winking the eye, kind of just giving people what they want to hear, pretending, you know, just not afraid to stand up for something, kind of just letting, letting the moment roll and be kind of led around by a leash, and in one sense winking their eye, being duplicitous, not sharing their heart, they end up causing trouble. But the honest person actually is the one that brings resolution. That's what brings resolution. You know, we all have had situations, at least I I can think back to times when, you know, when I was in the military and a bunch of people were all complaining about something and I joined in the complaining even though I didn't agree with it, but I didn't have the courage to stand up against it. 
and then over here something else happens and I take the other side and, and it's kind of wink, wink. I'm not sharing my heart. I'm just being duplicitous about it. And you know what happens? Only trouble when you do that. But the person who can stand up and say, you know what, you guys are wrong. That's actually the one who resolves things is what he's saying. I think that I like the Greek rendering of it better than that. I think it, it makes a lot more sense. And here's the point. The point is pretty simple. Deception always causes trouble. Honesty always brings peace. That's what he's saying. Even though the path of honesty can be tough. Okay. So, we have our contrast so far. <clears throat> Righteous person, blessing. Wicked person, deception. Righteous person, a good legacy. Wicked person, a bad legacy. Righteous person, listens and receives. Wicked person just does all the talking, doesn't listen. Righteous person is secure. They have nothing to hide. The wicked person is constantly hiding. But they will be exposed for who they really are. A deceptive person hurts, and an honest person brings peace. Our sixth contrast, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 11 takes us back really to verse 6 again. The Hebrew image of the mouth is really just meant to be your heart. The stuff you say, the stuff that flies out of your mouth, the way you word things really do impact your heart. It's what he's saying. We, we can tell what's going on in there. The, the, the jokes you tell, so to speak, the things that make you laugh, the way you talk to people, the words that come out. You can't just say, well, I didn't mean that. You know, you know what? There's something driving this. There's something driving this. This is exactly what Jesus said in Luke 6, 45. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. The evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of, of the heart, his mouth speaks. That's what he's saying. It's just that simple. The mouth of the righteous. Now notice what the mouth of the righteous is. It's a fountain of life. It means that when you're in the presence of somebody who's pursuing Jesus as a way of life, you're built up because their words are about helping people. I always think it's interesting that there are hundreds, if not thousands of words about using our tongue to build others up and a handful of words about reproving people. And there are so many people that love to focus on that reproving. My job is to make sure you stay right. And I'm going to reprove you. I'm reproving you. Right? God has put me on the earth to be deputy Holy Spirit and to rebuke every sin that I see. Right? That's my job. It's my calling. You should be lucky to have me around in your life because you do something wrong. I'm the first one there to tell you. But you know what? Most of the time, it misses wisdom, doesn't it? Because our tongues are to use to build people. Even when we reprove, it's about restoring people. That's why we don't use the term church discipline in this church. You go, what? Are you being unbiblical? No. We confront sin, but we call it church restoration because the whole point of the passage is this is how you restore a brother in sin. It's not how you discipline a brother in sin. It's how you restore them. Sometimes restoration could be removing somebody from the church. Why? Because we want you here so much that we've got to send you out to show you how bad this is because we so bad want you to repent and we so bad want you back here. Because we want to restore you. We don't just want to discipline you. We're not some papal organization that's just casting out 
people and tossing out, you know, statements just to hurt people. It's not like that. You see, the righteous person, his mouth is a fountain of life. When you're in the room with a righteous person, they build you up. Even when they're confronting your sin, they're building you up. But the wicked person, what do they do? They conceal their violence. Sometimes they come with, the, with their friendly words. You know, I'm just saying this because I love you, but bam, 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 bam. Blessings. You know? You're like, wow, where'd that come from? You go home crushed. You know, you've been there, right? You know what that feels like. To have somebody just load the gun on you. All in the name of, well, I'm just being honest. No, you're being spiteful. Right? Let's call it what it is. You're being spiteful. Our tongue is used to build people up. When I go to somebody, I want to encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and admonish the unruly. And I want to be able to discern all three of those. Because I want to make sure when I use my words to talk to you, I'm building you up. Even if I have to confront your sin. We should, you, you should leave knowing my intention is to build you up. My intention is that you would walk away in love with Jesus more even if I have to confront you. See, that's what the righteous does. The mouth of the righteous person is a fountain of life. Stuff just comes out, builds people up. The mouth of the wicked, it conceals it. It might use friendly words, you know. It might use that. I learned something spending some time down in the South. When somebody says, bless your heart, that's not a good thing, right? If you know what I'm talking about, if you've been to the South, oh, bless their heart. Ooh, something bad's coming out of their mouth next. Oh, bless their heart. They're just so lost, you know. Bless their heart. They don't know how to parent, right? They're just concealing it. It's a concealing statement. As opposed to saying, I want to help you become a better parent. And maybe I'll die to myself and serve you. Maybe I'll forgive you and I won't even bring it up. Maybe I'll let love cover a multitude of sins. I don't know. Whatever it is, I want to make sure my tongue builds you up and not tears you down. See, that's why. So, here's what you've got. These distinctions. Righteous person, blessing. Wicked person, deception. Righteous person, a good legacy. Wicked person, a rotten legacy. Righteous person listens. Wicked person refuses to listen. Righteous person is secure. The wicked person is insecure. The righteous person is deceptive, hurts others, brings destruction upon themselves. Did I say the righteous person with all that? I meant to say the wicked person. I'm like, as those words are coming out, it's not making any sense to me. <laughs> right? The righteous person is secure. The wicked person is deceptive. There we go. Let's correct that one. The righteous person in the sixth contrast uses words of healing and hope. And the wicked person uses their tongue to tear people down. So you say to young people, why do we love Jesus? Why are we following Jesus? Why? One of the great blessings of following Jesus is that I can be blessed and secured. And I can invest the righteousness given to me into others. And that work will carry on long after my death. And I don't have anything to be ashamed of or afraid of because I've put it all out before Jesus. And I can use my tongue to build people up and, and be a blessing that will carry on for generations. Or, young person, you could stand at the precipice of your life and say, ah, nah, I'm going to take the quick path. I'm going to take the path of deception. I'm going to hide my sin. I'm gonna... 
And then you know what will happen? You'll just continue to hide and hide and hide and hide and hide, and eventually you'll be 50 years old, and everyone will know you got anger problems and alcohol problems and gambling problems and all these other issues, and everyone will see it, and your wife or husband will see it, and your children will see it, and you'll just try to wall yourself off more and more and more because you'll just be living this deceptive lifestyle. And even if somehow you manage to hold the floodgates back to your death at your funeral, those floodgates will open and all will see who you are. Solomon's just saying, this is the reality of life. This is the reality of life. So, the best Mother's Day gift I can give to the young people is only Jesus. Only Jesus. This is it. It's the only way. Because you can bring all that yuck to him, and he forgives it, and he cleanses you. He begins to offer blessing in your life, and you can have all of that. Let me give you three take-homes. I've gone way over time here, so let me just give you three take-homes just to, that you can think about. The first one is this. The ultimate pursuit of life must be the righteousness of God. It has to be. It has to be saying, Jesus, I, I want to I live open and honest before you. I, I'm willing to bring it all to you, believing the cross settled it all. No more duplicity. No more hiding. No more... Being one person out in public and another person in my home, I'm done with that. I want, I want to know the forgiveness and the security. I, know, I want to know what it is to be blessed. I want to pursue Jesus. Secondly, second take home. As I read this, I realized that what I want in my heart is I want to cultivate a heart that loves what God loves and hates what God hates. You, you know, it's amazing how many things in this world that we can cultivate a love for. It's, it's easy to fall in love with sin. We can cultivate that. And you might say, well, I love it. Yeah, you do. Unfortunately, you allowed yourself to fall in love with something God hates. Now you've got to unpack that. Because you say, I want to pursue righteousness. I don't want to start falling in love with wickedness because I know the path of wickedness. It leads to destruction and pain and misery. I don't want that. Thirdly, concealing and covering sin does not make it go away. It only destroys yourself, your family, those around you, and your legacy when you die. God did not say the wages of sin is to conceal your sin. The wages of sin is death, and Christ said, I'll pay that for you. So bring it up before God. So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to ask you to take a moment and to pray. Maybe today you've got some things you've concealed in your life, things that you should bring before the forgiveness of Christ. Do that. Do that. The punishment was already levied on the cross. And so you can bring it up and experience all the blessings of forgiveness. But if there are things that you're saying, the Spirit of God's going, you're duplicit, you're lying here, you're lying here, you're hiding this, you're concealing this. If you kind of feel that, 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 that ping, then here's a good moment to bring that before Christ. And young person, I challenge you, best Mother's Day present you can give to your mom is to say, today's the day that I just totally said, Jesus, I'm all in for you, man. I'm all in for you. You know, and tell your mom that. Would you bow your head? I'm just going to give you a moment just to pray whatever's in your heart that you want to bring up before God. Just take a moment and do that.
Father, I know one sense 20 seconds isn't a long enough time to bring our heart before you. But I do pray for those in this room that are dealing with issues. They weigh the words that come out of their mouth or they think about the ways that they say things or talk to people or think about the anger that rages within them and maybe the sense that they can't back down from a fight. Those things that they might be concealing, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would just realize that that's just dumb to conceal it, that you've forgiven them, that you've restored them. You can make them new. So, Lord, may they, they know the hope of the cross. You died and rose from the dead to forgive them. Pray for the young people in this room, Lord, that, that they would be committed to this path of righteousness, following after you, that they would say, I want to be all in. I, I want to follow Jesus. I, I don't want this, this lifestyle. I don't want to be conniving people and ripping people off and hiding that from people and, and knowing the misery that comes that way. So, Lord, I pray that they would see Jesus completely in all of his glory. Lord, I thank you for this moment to be reminded of these two great truths, the road of the righteous and the road of the wicked. I pray, God, that it would just stir our hearts on this day. In Christ's name, amen.